0: WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. I want to welcome you for joining me today. Uh, And we are in the studio today with two gentlemen. Uh, and we're going to talk and listen. My goal today really is to listen, a perspective of a black male living in America today. Um, with recent events that has transpired over the last week, I know I kind of feel like we are in a vortex, you know, like one of those movies where you, uh, get to a certain point and then like you go back in time, you have to repeat it all over again. And then you go back in time, you have to repeat (laughs) it. all (laughs) It's like we're in like this constant time vortex here. Um, And my initial uh, intentions for the show was really to talk about um, living as a black male in America and the events that just so happened um, to happen over the last week made it even more timely. So in the studio today, we have two lifelong residents of New Haven um, talking to us from what I hope to be, well, what I intended to be two different generational Perspectives. So we have Isan Abducevor, who is a student at Common Ground High School, and um, he has this really awesome mom that has like this awesome radio show.
1: (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Isan.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: <laughs> and, uh, Malcolm Welfare is a is the owner of the Lineage Group, a technology teacher in New ha- in um in New Haven Public Schools, um lifelong resident of the city, and a community activist. Thank you for joining me, Malcolm. No
2: problem. Glad to be here.
0: So, um, my so it, there's so much that I kind of like want to get out today. I know that we don't have enough time to get it all out, so I'm going to try to collect my thought and take things step by step Um, for me when I look at just what it's like being black in America today you know I have the perspective of a black woman a black mother Um, and even though when we look at things like racism and uh, police brutality and all of the the ills that comes along with being black in America black men have it worse And when I look at um, when we look at statistics, when we look at the reality on the ground. And so I first I want to get your perspective of what do you what is it like for you when you wake up and look in the mirror and you know you're going outside and you are a black male? Is that a thought process on a daily basis or is it not?
2: Yes, it is. It was prior to a lot of what was happening before, but even more so now.
0: And and so at what age do you start having that kind of consciousness of I am a black male and I'm going to be perceived differently or I have to walk through the world differently? Or do you have that perception at all? Is that it?
3: Well, um, I think it starts when something goes down. Like if a young black male gets shot on TV and you realize, hey, that kind of looks like me. So once you realize that you can be affected by something but based on what you look like, I think that's where it kicks in.
0: And and is there an age that that happens or is literally just with events? Were you not kind of like consciously aware of the perception of black males in society before you realize Trayvon Martin got shot or Michael Brown, were you just kind of like, oh, I'm like everybody else, kind of?
3: Yeah, if, for me, I didn't realize it. After Trayvon Martin, I was like, wow, all right. Okay. Well, what I look like really does matter.
2: I think mm-hmm. for me, I realized it going to high school, um, that was the first experience that I had being in an environment that was very different than New Haven in terms of the diversity and in terms of,
0: where did you go to high school?
2: I went to Notre Dame West Haven. Okay. Um, so it was it was very much a culture shock in term uh in terms of the uh, religious practices and the center on uh, religious education, uh, but then also just from a demographic standpoint, there weren't as many multicultural faces in the building in terms of the administration, the student population. So there was a lot to get used to, and that really made me realize, you know, there are places where there are places that are not like new Haven in terms of walking out and seeing yourself represented.
0: And so for our listeners who are not aware, Notre Dame high school is in West Haven, which is right next door. So they're our neighbor West Haven and Notre Dame is a private school. it's an all boys private school.
2: It's a Holy cross Catholic school.
0: It's a Holy cross Catholic school. And in Notre Dame, you are a minority. There were not a lot of um, people. And so that actually, so you went to middle school in New Haven, mm-hmm. k 3 And so New Haven is a predominantly minority community, and so it wasn't an it, it didn't affect you.
2: Uh it, only in the sense that it did. I mean there there were definitely instances where you realized that you were different from your teachers or that your teachers had a a way of talking to certain students who didn't look like them that they didn't necessarily have with people who looked like them or students who looked like them. So it was definitely there in my middle school experience as well, but it wasn't so much a thought process in terms of like the heavy preparation for the day, the thought process of, if I see uh, one of my peers who I know is racist, how am I going to deal with them today? You know, those, those type of things, those thoughts didn't really start to come into my head until high school.
0: Mm-hmm. So San, uh, you said that for you, it it didn't really become kind of like a conscious thing until Trayvon Martin. So do you think that uh, TV and social media makes it worse or is being aware of what is already happening a good thing or is it not? Mm.
3: I think think it goes both ways because if a young African-American teenager gets shot unlawfully, then it has to be you know, publicized. It has to be on the social media. It has to be on Facebook. It has to be on Instagram. It has to be on the news. Everybody has to know about it. But when people know about it, it also influences people. That doesn't really go on both ways because when you hear of society's constructs of a black male, it's pretty violent. So when people actually think, maybe, maybe he deserved to die. Maybe, maybe it was his fault. Then people start to think that. And when I look like a person that has been through that, Maybe the same mindset goes towards me.
0: And what, what do you think about TV and social media, Malcolm? Is that a?
2: Uh, I think some of the effects of TV and social media are...
0: Because um, you're a tech teacher, so do yeah. you, you, you talk about this with your students?
2: I do. What grade I, do you teach? I teach third through eighth grade. Okay. Um, and I think some of the responsibility of society in understanding the effects, especially of social media, are important especially when it comes to showing violence and, to, and getting out the news because you want to know what happens and you want to know what happened, but you, you also don't want to desensitize people to things that they should feel, sh- they, they should feel shocked by. So what I'm noticing is there's a, a huge trend of this overstimulation of uh, violent images through social media, and especially black images, um, and just knowing the historical context of um, white supremacy and racism in this country, there are I know that there are groups of people who enjoy watching those those scenes and who um, are not negatively shocked or negatively impacted by seeing those those things but then there's also the flip side of maybe young people or people who are not necessarily mentally ready to see those images or to understand so violently the truths that they've maybe known, but never seen or, you know, heard about, but never really believed were there in terms of racism or violence uh, toward black bodies in America. And so that can have a huge um, negative psychological impact on how people not only function throughout the day, but also use the internet and internalize that violence and act out that violence within their own lives. So it can be dangerous.
0: As a, as a teacher dealing with children, as these things have transpired over the last, you know, five years or so, do you see a difference in their behaviors when an event happens?
2: I do, I do. Um, over the years, there has been less shock, there has been more apathy, uh, less willingness to discuss some of the solutions that can come through education and knowledge. Um, which results in a rejection of knowledge, which makes my job harder. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing this effect where the violence is having such a shock on the mind and the, and the body um, of these students that they're shocked into wanting to do nothing, shocked into wanting to discuss nothing. Nothing matters anymore. So it's um, it really is a tough job to go in first to make them aware of all of the options that they do have and to remind them that they have options despite the violence that they see and despite the shock that they feel. Um, and that definitely is tough. But once they start to see those options, it, it does become um, a little bit more automated in terms of having them think of solutions, having them discuss mm-hmm. solutions, having them use their foundational knowledge and their content knowledge to explore some of the solutions to ending and deconstructing racism, white supremacy
0: you you know that i'm i'm thinking about the age range that you deal with 3 to 8th grade that is a huge developmental difference mm. what is the what kind of conversation what differs in the conversation you have with 3rd graders versus 8th graders for parents like at what point do you have that conversation with your with your i know with your with your kid you know as as a parent for us you know, we are, um, my husband is a police officer. So we've always had very real conversations with our kids. I think fairly young, like this is what's going on in the world. We discuss the news. We talk about what's what's happening. We give them a chance to kind of like give their opinion. And I guess I think my, uh, of course, every parent think their kid is like mature and can understand everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't think I ever really thought well, there's two there's two sides of that con. I never really thought, oh, they're too young to see this. Mm-hmm. But then again, when they were young, all of this stuff wasn't going on. Mm-hmm. We was not having this literally police shooting people live on Facebook kind of right. thing, <laughs> you know, right. when Isan was five or or eight. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think that makes a difference. So at what point do you have kind of like conversations with kids that you think that they can understand?
2: Well, I work at King Robinson Magnus School, and that's an international baccalaureate school. So the perspective on our education is global. And being that the violence toward black bodies has a global impact, it's kind of hard to not come across it or talk about it in, in the day-to-day lives of student learning. Um, the, young, the younger students that I work with ask me about what they see on TV, what they've Mm -hmm. heard, and what their parents are talking about. Um, And then for me, it's important for eighth graders going into ninth grade, eighth graders who are going into um, developing more intense projects to display to the community that they have an understanding of what's going on around them. So we do talk about it. But it's kind of funny because I find that younger students have a little bit more dexterity in what they can handle in terms of concepts and what what some of the issues are they're a little bit more patient with themselves Mm. and and for better or for worse it's it's because of their concept of reality isn't really solidified in terms of just like they still feel immortal they still feel very much untouched by the problems of the world so they can analyze things without being too emotional and feeling Mm. too close to the issue Mm. uh, which is a good thing so it's kind of funny that the younger students have a little bit more flexibility and dexterity when it comes to having those conversations and exploring some of the solutions. Whereas um, the eighth graders, I found a lot of them didn't want to talk about some of the issues until, you know, when you asked them why and they were saying, well, there's nothing you can do about it. So why talk about it? It just makes me angry. And then, you know, when you ask mm. them, well, what if you did have a solution or what if you did have a place for solutions? How would you feel then? And then they say, well, you know, maybe, but you probably still wouldn't be able to do anything. Mm. And so just having the older students understand that, yes, while there are blanket issues going on, that there are not blanket answers and that those answers have to start with the individual working through the small personal issues that they have and then bringing them to other people who share those issues. So that way you can kind of change the larger parts of society. And after they understand that process a little bit, um, they're a little bit more relaxed. So Mm -hmm. I think the older students just need a way to understand a little bit more and process a little bit more. But I don't think that there's an age that's too young for students to start having this conversation because um, I've seen five-year-olds who've asked, you know, are the police going to come get us? Are, are the police going to hurt us? Um, we sit, King Robinson School sits right at an intersection where there is a police firing range. So I've heard a lot of younger kids talk about the police fire and, you know, what mm. that is and what that means for them. So they're very much aware of, if not the real world context, the emotional context that they feel and that they're understanding from those around them.
0: Mm, mm. It's saying as a young person with your friends, are you talking about what, what goes on? And I know you personally, you have a a wide variety of nationalities for your friends. So you have like the UN of friends, right? So, but is that a conversation that you have and is the conversation different with your friends who are a minority versus the ones who are not?
3: Um, don't really, no, we don't really talk about things like this.
0: No? No. No. Well, and wh- even when something happens, it's just...
3: When something happens, no,
1: not really.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that's so?
3: Um...
0: Do you relate to some of the stuff that Malcolm says? That do, do you think that they just think that there's no sense in talking about it because there's no solution?
3: Most likely. It's a, it's not something you can really solve in one lifetime. Like systematic racism, how people see black men today. I don't know why, but we just really don't talk about it.
0: mm mm-hmm. That's interesting. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka on 103.5 FM New Haven's Home for Community Radio. Also streaming live on NewHavenIndependent.org. Today we are talking about living in America from the perspective of a Black male. Um, we have in the studio with us is San Abduzovor and Malcolm Welfare, uh, two lifelong New Haven residents, two uh, young Black men. And we're getting their perspective of all of the events that are going on. So, this week, we had Charlottesville, Virginia. Ooh. Charlottesville, Virginia was, of course, on the news all day, yeah. every day, on social media, on. And it gave a very visual, I, let me say, I heard one reporter say that the purpose that they wanted to achieve was to prove that they were more than just an internet meme. I think they totally proved their purpose for people who wanted to just say, oh, that's just these uh, keyboard vigilantes. People don't really do that in real life. People don't really feel that in real life. We've come so far in America. We don't have... Nazism here. We, you know, we don't have not na- for people who wanted to kind of like, like wear rose colored glasses. They certainly put themselves out there. Them meaning the organizers of the event, the white supremacists the neo-Nazis. Um, they certainly achieved that where they not just removed, but I think slapped off people's rose colored glasses mm-hmm. <laughs> as to the racism in America. Yeah. Um, Isan, what went through your mind when you first saw what was going on?
3: Well, when I heard first heard about Charlotte Fields when you was actually in the dining room um watching the video of the car running over to people. Mm. And when I first heard about that, I said, Nope. I'm not gonna watch it. No, I'm not gonna. It's another Baltimore, it's another Ferguson. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch it. But Of course, I watched it being curious, and I was disgusting. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. It was just terrible. Mm. And then I'm trying to avoid it, and I'm like, nope, I'm not going to see any more videos. Scrolling through Facebook. I see torches in the middle of the night screaming white power. You cannot replace us. I'm like, oh, my God.
0: So here is the interesting thing. I thought they were saying you cannot replace us. Then I watched a clearer video They were actually saying Jews cannot replace us. They were not saying you. And I thought for like two days, I thought that they were saying you cannot replace us. They were actually saying Jews cannot replace us. Mm. So that was like (laughs) that was like mind blowing to me. I'm like, what? (laughs) Really?
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I thought that too. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) Um, and I and my my concept of that is because Jews also look white, they are concerned about Jews in particular replacing the white European male mm-hmm. So you saw <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> that, that was my face too. That was totally my reaction as well. Wow. When I first, when I, yeah, that was my reaction as well. <laughs> um. So you did. And so what went through your mind as you saw this very real kind of like the physical manifestation of the racism that we have talked about in I feel like it was a physical manifestation of the racism that we have talked about in a kind of like when we say systematic racism, right? There's no face to that, right? You think of systems, you think of the way things are planned or right. It's kind of like this, this non tangible type of racism, which makes it harder for people to grasp. But when you put a physical face a physical body and actions behind racism, it makes it real. So when you see that as a black young man, what does that, what does that uh, tell me about your reaction to that?
3: Oof, I was mostly numb to the situation. I I just didn't know what to feel saying all that. And after seeing videos of like black men getting beat up, I was thinking I'm never I'm not going anywhere near things like that because that could be me, mm. but I just it was pretty I don't know it was just it was just something that I never seen before, but I think in a, in a way it is actually kind of good because it gives it gives evidence twenty first century evidence that this is real nobody can say nobody can say oh that's what like if she says more than an internet meme. It's real people doing real things and hurting real people and killing real people. Mm. So I think I think there's evidence. But unfortunately
0: it had to happen. Mm. And Malcolm, what's your what was your when did you first hear about it?
2: Uh, I was at a cookout and I was on your page and <laughs> saw that you had shared the video and I was I looked down at my phone and I was just kinda like some more craziness going on and I was like, Okay, I'm just I'm at the cookout. Let me put this phone away. I put the phone away and it, and I didn't pay attention to it until later that evening. And when I saw it, I was just like, whoa, like this is, this is crazy. This is, this is, this could be the tipping point for a lot more of these pop-up
0: um, rallies and
2: demonstrations to happen across America. I wasn't sure if that was like. Because I've just been feeling like seeing these smaller demonstrations happen across America, they're just kind of like probing and testing out Mm. what they could do and couldn't do. Mm. And I'm wondering if it is going to... Lead to a bigger demonstration that happens across the country at the same time. So I was wondering if that was
0: so. so what's happening now? So the video that I shared that you both see. <laughs> 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 so the interesting thing about this video that the video was, I actually was watching the video live when it happened, and I was just kind of like scrolling through, like seeing what was going on, and it came across my news feed, and. I tuned in about five minutes before the car crash happened, and after the car crash, it actually somebody knocked the video out of the the the, the woman's hand, and I was like, in my mind, I was like, did what happened did did a car just like ram into people I was like no no and I was like trying to click like okay why did she lose internet and I actually had then I started looking on the feed and then people started saying what happened and I which confirmed it and so me watching it wasn't kind of like when I shared it I was like oh wow this is crazy do people know that this happened (laughs) right it was it was a shock for me because I actually watched it when it happened um the there's a, a very interesting um video online. I believe um the Facebook account, the Facebook um, pages Vice, they did um they embedded a reporter with a group of white supremacists. Um, and the and to your point about the rallies, one of the things that the gentleman said was that they're that so far all they have. Been even though they know that they are um, collectively a lot more people, they have been disjointed and their goal is to have more rallies to unify them, to show other people who are white supremacists, who are neo-Nazis, that there are a group of them. So, you know, we had a, Rally here in New Haven um, a few weeks ago by the Proud Boys who are. What are they? They are categorized as white nationalists, but they are also the categorized as the fight arm of the um, alt-right movement. So they have like a an actual agreement with the alt-right movement, their goal as the Proud Boys is to literally uh, fight people who oppose them. That is literally their goal as a group. Um, And that's the group that came to New Haven. Um, I don't think that they anticipated the response because it was like what like a dozen of them and then like 150 counter protesters showed up yeah. so <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah you may not want to bring that to the haven <laughs> not you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, may not want to come back here <laughs> but uh, that but i think to your point i think that that is something that every city is now concerned about and there is this huge so let's have this conversation about what's the difference between giving freedom of speech versus uh, you know, I guess sanity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the argument of it's free speech?
2: Nah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it, it is not. It doesn't, it's hurting other people. It is putting other people in bondage and free that type of speech is not covered under free speech. So when we look at and we study freedom of speech and freedom of information, it's important that we understand that while you can say what it is that you want to say, that if it is negative, that there may be repercussions that should be repercussions legally. Um, And it's very different than just stating an opinion or stating what you believe to be true because someone's freedom and livelihood is not up for debate. Hmm. Someone's human spirit and the, the wholeness of the right for their spirit to be whole and intact is not up for debate.
0: And that is, that supersedes free speech. Hmm. What do you think about the argument? I'm saying?
3: Oh, uh, I don't, I do not like that argument. Like when people, when people say something like, wow, that's beyond disrespectful. Like, you're ugly, your nose looks weird, they like, just makes fun of them. They're like, don't say that, that's mean. And it's like, well, freedom of speech. Like, okay, but, you know, you're not the only one here. There's other people around you. It's still important to be respectful, especially when it comes to somebody's freedom. That's a, that's a whole new deal. Because, like, saying I don't like chocolate ice cream is different from saying I don't like Negroes. Like, there's repercussions to that, especially how people see you or even how it affects them. This is, mm, mm. yeah.
0: So it, it's a perception thing. Yeah,
2: that could cost somebody their life.
0: For sure. Mm-hmm. Isan, you have a poem to share with us, correct? Yep. So Isan right is a spoken word artist as well, and he writes very he writes poems from real life experience and real life thoughts. So he he has one he, he he's going to share with us. Yeah,
3: it's like a I stole a piece from Sam Cook's song "Born by the River." So. I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like the river I've been running ever since. It's been a long time. A long time coming. But I know change's gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. I was born by the river in a little tent. Just to be violently drowned from the same water that I once drunk. All hope in this reality seems to be the one thing that's sunk. Along with the fishies that discriminate against me, but there's a hint to see that they will never accept thee. The blood, sweat, and tears that my ancestors shed here 398 years ago, black men were known as slaves, rather than the country's economic heroes, from picking cotton and tobacco, for the big houses that they built from their bare hands, that we couldn't go near though. We're only known as boy, nigger, and negro that was sold and told not to look at their masters in the eyes. Because the freedom is this prison, is one thing that couldn't hear the cries. I guess we can't get away from the oppression that uneducated people believe that's optional, these low-life moments that continues to consume me seems to be constantly impossible. Set up for failure to be raised in segregated areas that coincidentally are identified as separated It's just a coincidence that the definition of ghetto is an area occupied by minorities. This is our history. Jim Crow seems to find its way to the 21st century, but it's plenty to drown off these minorities, but where the hell is the priorities that this country needed to face in order to protect the incorrect constitution that was meant to be corrected for all citizens? Going to the deep part of the river again. Invasive species of fishies that identify as white supremacists. This is racist. But an immigrant covering their hair with a religious requirement is considered dangerous? A terrorist? But this is simply not fair. But this is... This. This is the river that unprivileged are born into. Coming from the womb that holds their innocence. But they are... We are truly born to the river as guilty. With no background of swimming in this river of reality, how must one keep its mouth shut? but still over the surface. A way to live rather than just to survive. Without seeing the future as hopeless, a way to see setbacks as opportunities rather than something just to cope. A realization of your body keeping you afloat. Hope. I was born by the river in a little tent, and old oh, just like the river I've been running ever since. The say it's the darkest before dawn, but the sun didn't set yet. It's been a long time coming, But the change we made doesn't even make a dollar. Our forefathers did not want to see us ever to succeed. And this belief followed up to today following so much greed. You're full of shit if you think this is the land of the free and home of the brave. Land of the struggles that took so many years to get used to. But now we're back to square one. Home of the slaves that built this country. That were whipped and called foreign names as they were forcefully helping immigrants kill off the people of the native land. Home of the killers discovered by the first terrorists that thought he landed in India. But he landed in what we know as the United States of America. Building a White House that only accepts people that the name of the house reflects on their skin tone, but history of our recent president disproves that notion. Hard work and dedication that brought him into the White House. Up that slope, I was. We was. He was born into the river of hope. Him repeating the slogan, Yes, we can, without having the ability to see a positive future, surely was influenced by Indigenous hope. Our Indigenous hope. Bring color into the White House. Color representation of the nation. Civil rights activists of this decade being filled with sensation. Patience. What you want won't last for long. Ancient songs being relevant. The irony being so magnificent. I was born by the river. Despite his mediocre, misogynistic replacement, we must continue his belief of love in this country. Feeling the love and hope fill everybody. The love and poem fill every poem. Every crying, dying, finding friend because... It's been a long time, a long time coming, but I know change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will.
0: Awesome. That was amazing. No. That was amazing. You've just listened to um, a poem by spoken word artist and New Haven resident, is <laughs> San Abdu-Sabor, and you're listening to Mornings with Mubarako on 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. dot um, org. That was powerful, mm-hmm. and it and it really uh, it really speaks to everything that's going on, um, and. You really did touch on, on a lot of things I like that it ended in hope and so as we come to the last few minutes of the show let's end in hope <laughs> end, end in, some, in something positive um, let's, let's, let's talk about the, the difference that President Obama being a president as a black man how did that impact you And how does it impact us going forward, do you think? Because him being president, we're going back. But how does it, you know, him stop because he's no longer in the White House, doesn't stop the impact that it made. Um, What was that impact like for you, Sam?
3: It was great. It (laughs) It was nice to see somebody with my skin tone being in that position of power. It really gave me hope. That this country is actually moving forward. But recently, it doesn't, doesn't seem so hopeful.
0: Do you think that, does it give you hope that we can get back there?
3: Oh, yeah, we can definitely can. Yes, we can. Obama said this <laughs> many <laughs> times. Yes, we can. We can get back there.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: We just need the people to stand up.
0: Mm. Malcolm, what do you think? How did that impact you, and how does it impact us going forward?
2: I definitely felt a lot more comfortable than I do right now. Um, And I think that the impact of having that comfort and feeling that layer of safety, uh, for me, just makes me want to get back to that level of, even though it wasn't perfect, but that level of just like psychological and physical even safety. Um, So I, I definitely think that it can happen again um, it just needs to be remembered that, you know, we were there and we got there through doing things the way that we have always done them and the thing, the way that our ancestors have done them, which was through hard work and dedication. So mm. that's, that was definitely the the lesson that I learned from the Obama presidency and what I take with me into the future, even though it's not a, a, a place of uh, good feeling like it was in that era.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think that um, has transpired, and you can agree or disagree, is I feel like b- because we experienced life under a black president and we felt like we had so much hope in it going forward and now that we have seem to have gone so for, so much further back, it at least gives us a closer point of reference mm-hmm. that we, we can change yeah. that this country can progress. We just can't, we just have to stop going two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. Cause that, that's what it seems like to me that we are. We've, we went two steps forward, one step back. We're still a little bit closer than we was before, mm-hmm. but we still went backwards. Yeah. Gotta make a choice. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um so as we come to the last 5 minutes of our show uh, what do you want to leave people with knowing that you're talking to people of all different backgrounds um that that listen and tune into uh, to our show what you as a 16-year-old black male what thought do you want them to to ponder on I
3: just want to know it's it's hard Especially things like this happening at this time. At a at a young age, a black male, that's that's a dangerous in the eyes of a lot of people. Not even for cops or authorities, but for regular white racist citizens. And just be aware but just have hope. Just know. Just know this is gonna end someday. And just keep
2: on going.
0: Malcolm, what do you want to leave our listeners with?
2: Um, To the older people, keep inspiring the young people and show them that they can take action and do things that offset what people think, believe, and feel uh, through positivity. And for the younger people, believe in your actions, believe in yourself. um, Take those steps to build um, yourself and others and those who are around you into people who who take action based on what needs to be done and and how our, our community needs to be positively impacted Mm. because it's there. The work is there, the possibility and the opportunities are there. So Mm. take that hope and make it happen.
0: Awesome. Take that hope and make it happen. Mm It's saying we have three minutes left to our show. Could you take us out with uh, a poem? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, San <Thanks, I'll laughs> of Dusavor is going to take us out of the show with a poem today. I want to thank you for listening. You've been listening to Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues on a local level from a lens of diversity. And I want to remind you to be a voice and not an echo.
3: What is that? It's coming over the ocean. What is the notion that this nation chose to have? It's different, it's diverse. We're just Europeans. I don't, I don't want to see it. Colors coming from the horizon, but George Washington allows us to buy them, but we can't reach them. Colored excellence coming from the sky to be unappreciated, but we can't hide the blood, sweat, and tears that will begin to shed here. Hear them. I can't. They silently add colors to the sky that's filled with the burning trees that was in the native land. Only shells washed ashore, but now there's slaves entering the sand or the ports, wearing scarves and the genitalias instead of shorts because they aren't treated gentle. Packed up boats and ships speaking their name now, foreign African languages from the tongues and lips just to be hung and kissed, rape the children and the mothers, or they can't get their throats slits. They will be put on for show as they were animals. But they are who we are, they are just sustainable. Ah! It's, it's showing again, colors coming from the horizon, I swear it is going to make me cry, and then I, I see the boat, I see in the end of the humanity, slavery is just beginning to the end, and again, and again, we arrive 398 agonizing years later, seeing rich whites have dinner, but blacks are the caters, I see the colors, I see the struggles, I see them overcoming them, doubled and doubled, having centuries of hate and learn to hate more, but to learn, to love, to learn to believe in hope. I see the colors. Down the slippery slope. I see hope. It makes it easier to cope with the pain. I see the colors. Roji Biv, seeing these colors. It's so magnificent. As a kid, I see the colors. I still see the nation. I still see the Negroes. I still see the colors. I see the colors. I see them. Oh, no. I'm seeing colors from the sky coming down below. Wait. Wait, I think this whole time, I was looking at a rainbow. (laughs)
1: Awesome.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Until next week. (laughs)